You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Can an employer who's writing your paycheck, can he require you to violate your Christian beliefs. Let's say, for instance, that you believe that Sunday is a day of rest, that it is a Sabbath. That's not an uncommon belief among Christians. What if your employer, in this case, the United Postal Service, says you have to deliver mail on Sunday? We made a contract with Amazon. They deliver on Sundays, so do we, and that's what you have to do. It's not hypothetical. It's an actual case that is sitting before the U.S. Supreme Court. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Friday afternoon, the 10th of March. We'll be talking with Rachel Morrison of the Ethics and Public Policy Center about that very case. And then Dr. John Bombaro joins us for the first part of a conversation on preaching the end times. Rachel Morrison is an attorney and fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, author of a column for The Federalist titled, No One Should Be Forced to Choose Between His Faith and His Paycheck. Rachel, welcome. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. What is the central question of Groff v. DeJoy before the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, the question is whether Americans should be able to exercise their religious beliefs at work or whether they have to give up their religion to earn a paycheck. And then the legal question is what undue hardship means. So let's go through the facts of the case. Uh, What are they? So Gerald Groff is a mail carrier or a former mail carrier with the United States Postal Service, and he is a Christian and has religious beliefs about resting and worshiping on his Sunday Sabbath and not working. And when he joined USPS, there was no Sunday work because USPS did not deliver mail on Sundays. But later, USPS started contracting with Amazon to deliver packages, and so he requested an accommodation so that he did not have to work on his Sunday Sabbath. Originally, USPS accommodated him, but eventually decided they no longer wanted to accommodate him and started scheduling him on Sundays. And when he didn't show up to work on his Sunday Sabbath, as he told them that he wouldn't, they started progressively disciplining him, and it ultimately led to him no longer being employed by USPS and it led to the lawsuit at the Supreme Court. Who has filed friend of the court briefs in favor of Groff's free exercise rights? So there was 34 amicus briefs filed in support of Groff and in support of the religious accommodation rights in the workplace. This is a huge number. Very few cases get this many number of amicus briefs in support of the position. They were filed by members of Congress by a number of states. They were filed by legal groups, civil rights groups, religious groups. The religious groups covered Catholics, Christians, Jews, Sikhs, Seventh-day Adventists, Hindus. And so you have this whole gamut 
coming out in support of the religious accommodation rights in the workplace. Does the Civil Rights Act of 1964 speak to this case at all? Yes. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 includes Title VII, which prohibits religious discrimination in the workplace. And part of that religious discrimination prohibition is an affirmative obligation on employers to provide reasonable accommodation for their employees' religious observances and practices, unless doing so would cause an undue hardship on the conduct of the employer's business. And at issue in this case is what undue hardship means. How has the court ruled on this issue before? In 1977, in a case called Transworld Airlines versus Hardison, the Supreme Court was addressing the issue of accommodations and in a throwaway line said that undue hardship only meant more than de minimis cost. And you're probably wondering, but doesn't undue hardship mean a lot more than de minimis cost? And you would be correct, except that's not what the Supreme Court said. And so that standard has been stuck with us for a long time since that case, and it has had a negative impact on employees' rights when it comes to accommodations in the workplace. Talk about how that reading has been used by the lower courts to essentially gut free exercise. So the lower courts are bound by what the Supreme Court said in the Hardison case, and so they've had to interpret undue hardship as more than de minimis cost, which allows employers to justify their denials of an employee's religious accommodation request by proving just more than a de minimis cost. And de minimis means small or trifling, and more than that's just a little bit more. And so it's given employers a lot of leeway to deny these accommodation requests that they otherwise would have to provide if undue hardship was actually interpreted the way Congress intended and the meaning of the word to mean something like significant difficulty or expense, something that's actually undue. What do you make of the court's interpretation of undue hardship in that trans world airlines versus Hardison case? What do you make of it? It's pretty absurd when you look at it. It's clearly not what undue means, and it's a non-textual reading. And so it's high time that the court fix that. When you say non-textual reading, what do you mean by that? That if you look at the text of the statute, if you look at the word and you look at how the word is defined, undue does not mean more than a de minimis cost. It means a lot more than that. The meaning that the Supreme Court said that it had doesn't actually line up with the word itself in the text. How has Congress defined undue hardship in response to the Hardison case since? So after Hardison when they were passing the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, they defined undue hardship to mean significant difficulty or expense. And that law provided reasonable accommodations for qualifying disabilities. And they had to define undue hardship to avoid the interpretation of Hardison in that context. And more recently, this last term, Congress passed the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, providing accommodations for those who are pregnant. And they incorporated the ADA definition of significant difficulty or expense for undue hardship as well. And so this seems to be clearly what Congress meant when they said undue hardship. How have the appeals courts applied the Hardison reading of undue hardship in the Groff case? 
In the Groff case, they found that there was undue hardship on the employer, on USPS, to not accommodate Groff's request to not work on Sundays. They found this undue hardship based on the impact it had on the other employees, on his coworkers, the fact that they would be scheduled on Sundays, and their attitude about that. So this is a secondary issue in the case is whether an impact on coworkers, such as coworkers not being happy that someone else gets the religious accommodation, is enough to prove undue hardship. Because in the text of Title VII, it says undue hardship on the conduct of the employer's business. And a coworker's dissatisfaction with someone else's religion doesn't seem to have much impact on the employer's business specifically. And so that's a secondary issue that's being addressed in the case. You say there's a wrinkle in this in that the United States Postal Service is a department of the U.S. government. So the Department of Justice is going to represent the Postal Service in Groff. So how has the DOJ approached the court on the issue of Hardison and its reading of that term undue hardship? In the past, DOJ has said in court that it does not think that Hardison's reading is the correct formulation of what undue hardship means. This issue has come up to the Supreme Court several times in different cert petitions asking the court to take their case. And recently, a few years ago, the Department of Justice, joined by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, filed a brief explaining that they didn't think Hardison's formulation was correct. And so that's the position DOJ has taken in the past and very recently. And so it'll be interesting to see whether they continue to uphold to that position or if they flip 180 in this case. So I understand that the DOJ has approached the court not to hear this case as would be routine. What was their argument for the court not hearing this case, especially given the fact that they've argued against Hardison themselves? In their brief asking the court not to take up this case, they argued that there were procedural issues or it wasn't a good case to resolve the issue. They didn't say one way or the other whether they thought Hardison was correct or incorrect. So that's encouraging that they didn't come out at least at the preliminary stage and say that. And so I'm hopeful that they will stick to what they've said in the past and agree that Hardison is not the correct interpretation that should be upheld for undue hardship, and that they may instead say that Hardison is not the correct standard, but even under a higher standard, there was undue hardship, or it should be sent back down to the lower court to make that determination in the first instance. It sounds like their case is going to be extremely difficult to make, given their position on the Hardison reading. Correct. What do you expect the Biden administration to argue then? Just simply that Hardison is a bad standard, but even by a hypothetical better standard, Groff should have been required to work on Sunday? That is a good guess of what they would do. I think it's it's also interesting that this case involves a Christian employee because there's been a lot of, I would say, anti religious freedom actions by the Biden administration, especially directed towards Christians. And so it's hard to see how the Biden administration would be very excited to defend the rights of a Christian, Mm -hmm. even though these religious accommodation rights apply to 
religious minorities, and those are the ones who are able to benefit from the religious accommodations, generally more so. And so we're hopeful that the Biden administration would set aside any prejudices they have or any kind of anti-religion sentiment and argue the text of the statute and argue in line with what they have said in the past. If they flip and say, no, the Hardison ruling, we were wrong, the Hardison ruling is a good ruling, the appeals courts were right here, how do you expect the court to receive that argument? It's very unusual for DOJ to flip a position like that. And I think the Supreme Court would be somewhat skeptical of their position in that case. There's also been indications by several of the justices in these other cert petitions that had been brought to the Supreme Court in recent years, but they decided not to take them, where several of the justices indicated that they didn't think Hardison was the best interpretation of undue hardship. And so the fact that the Supreme Court agreed to take Roth at this time indicates to many that they are ready to revisit the case and correct the error in Hardison. How do you expect the court to rule then? I expect that they will say that Hardison's more than de minimis cost definition of undue hardship is wrong, that undue hardship means something much more than that. It must be undue that it could mean significant difficulty or expense, as Congress has defined in other statutes, or at the very minimum, something along those lines. And so I'm very hopeful that this case will come out favorably for Groff. Is this court more willing to hear cases involving religious liberty than previous courts? I'm not sure if they're more willing. Usually there's several religious liberty cases that the court hears a term. There's a lot of cases that the court does not take that involve religious liberty, but this is a court that's willing to to uphold the protections of religious liberty uh, in the First Amendment and in other statutes like Title VII. Rachel Morrison is an attorney and fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She is author of a column for The Federalist titled, No One Should Be Forced to Choose Between His Faith and His Paycheck. You can read it on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Rachel, thank you. Thanks, Todd. Folks, the 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference includes visits to the Ark and Creation Museum. This year's conference is October 11th through the 13th in Cincinnati. Early bird registration begins April 1st. Learn more at lutheransforlife.org slash conference, lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Dr. John Bombaro joins us next to talk about preaching the end times. This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of The Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. Listen 
listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about those who mark none on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.